good. I'd like to ask for your attention for a couple of clarifications about our exercise, attitude, posture, general lay of the land. Every big meditative tradition I am familiar with has understood the indispensability of our body uh, awareness in the training of the mind. Our attention can go to many different things. Some of those things have differing degrees of what the Buddhist tradition would call reality. You can have... uh, Uh, your attention on things that happen to be somatic. You can have your attention on things that have the quality of pleasure or unpleasure, displeasure. You can have your attention with things that we would call emotions. Uh, We would be able to have our attention on things that are concepts of our mind, and either discursive constructs or uh, fantasies or um, of differing degrees of um, probability or reality. (laughs) Now, in most of these areas, the mind is moving quite fast, and depending on the charge the particular object has for you, you are more or less likely to have emotional responses. One way that all meditative traditions have helped people to steady their attention on something that is present, present tense, because that's the only place you can be happy. Actually, not present tense. It's it's a lot more grammatic. It's it's now. Yeah. Yeah. For the uh, now is a is a short time. It's the only time you can really act. It's the only time you can be happy. It's the only time you can really care. It's the only time you can really understand something. So that now. If you want it in terms of clinical psychology, it's a, probably a segment of n- up to an absolute maximum of three seconds in which our brain conceives things in sequence to be part of a segment we conveniently label uh, now or nowness, if you want to be fussy about it. Yeah. It's a very small sliver of our working uh, memory. And the now... <clears throat> What happens in those three seconds, roughly, is what basically determines how much we understand, how much we learn, how much we relate, how much we can act. If that small segment is preoccupied, or to be more precise, if our attention in that small segment is preoccupied with things that are not present not real, not relevant, then we are wasting a lot of our attentional energy on 
something that we cannot really change, we cannot really comprehend, that doesn't make us happy and that doesn't really connect us to other people. It's that simple. So getting the mind, getting the attention back into that segment of nowness is crucial. Every meditative tradition has understood this. So one way to be able to safeguard this is to learn how to attend to things bodily because the body only happens now. Yeah? You never get yesterday's toothache or tomorrow's knee pain. Yeah? If you get body, if you get knee, if you get tooth, it's always now. Yeah? That's not the case with the things you can think of. The things you can think of, they may have happened yesterday, they may never happen, they may happen tomorrow. Yeah? So the content of what Buddhist tradition calls the raw material for the fourth channel in Satipatthana practice, the Dhamma channel, the raw material, what you thought and concept, um, this may be real or unreal, it may have been happening already or it may never happen, it may be um, relevant or not. But you cannot be sure whether it is happening now. If you happen to shift your attention to what Buddhist Satipatthana practice calls Channel 1, the first area of developing mindfulness, namely things that have to do with body, with the sensate quality of body, you are automatically bringing your attention back to now. Now, I'm not using the word now as a sort of metaphysical big blub, which I believe is to be more real than anything else. But I'm speaking of the mind's capacity both to associate and think and make abstract concepts and our preoccupation with that capacity, our the ease with which the mind is being lured away from what is actually happening to what we think is actually happening, what we wish would actually be happening, what we fear might actually happen. Yeah? So we all have this fantastic gift of uh, a mind that can think and represent to itself what it experiences. And at the same time, we're easily prone to get lost in that deluge of mental activity which occludes our immediate sensory reality. So every meditating tradition, right down from the earliest parts in Buddhism to the latest teachings of Buddhist uh, tradition, have understood it is necessarily to get embodied, to get the mind back to the body and to the body's reality. You know, you may think that your brain is actually preoccupied with thinking a lot of the time, but the major job of your brain is not thinking. The major job of your brain is regulating bodily functions. That's what your brain really has developed from. If it turns a little colder outside, then to maintain conditions for the body in an okay realm. This is what your brain really is mostly geared towards. Maintaining homeostasis in bodily conditions. So, you start shivering if it gets cold, or you start sweating if it gets cold. Usually, if the body does that job, if the brain does its job properly, you don't even know about this. It just seems to be happening. 
So one way we meet the challenge of developing the mind, freeing the mind, is preparing the mind to be with what it actually experiences. That sounds easy, but it is not. We're besotted with ideas, fantasies, wishes, fears. And to come back to simple physical experiences, for most of us, slightly insulting, isn't it? We've spent years and years in schools and training, and it's a slightly insulting idea that basically I should devote all of my attention to just, you know, one crummy in-breath, you know. Is that what I really did my degrees for? Spent all those training, you know, have developed subtle concepts of metaphysical nature. Is that really what I want to do? Give all that up just for one little crummy in-breath? Takes, takes, takes a deep breath to, <laughs> to stomach that one, isn't it? If you want me to be provocative, I say yes. You know, risk, risk your metaphysical constructs for, uh, for that one in-breath. You know, if your metaphysics is anything worth, it'll survive it. If it's not surviving it, it probably wasn't that much worth. So every Buddhist tradition has understood, before we can train the mind new tricks, before we can develop any profound insight into the nature of the universe, we need to be able to attend to what is happening for us on a somatic level. So for that, sitting is not a bad idea, because... It's a lot easier to tell the body to sit still than to tell the mind to sit still. Now, that's why we start with the body. Um, if you have these cushions, they, by the way, for those of you who are new on the block, this is a zafu, and it likes to be pummeled. Yeah? If you pummel your zafus after you sit on them, they, kind of, they get their loft back. Yeah? That's the idea. If you sit on them, I'd suggest consider them as a wedge rather than as a cushion. Yeah? Think of using them as a wedge. You, know, you, sit, you sit on their edge and you use them to get a, a slight uh, angle on your hip. That's the point. Yeah. There's plenty of these cushions around, so maybe you feel that a second cushion will help you. The higher you sit, the less strain you have on your thigh muscle. Yeah. If your knee hurts, usually it is because... Not of the knee, but because of your shortened thigh muscles. If you, like most of us, are a desk sitter and table sitter, then you have generally shortened muscles in your legs. Um, And that means if you sit like you do here, you are likely to feel some strain. And that strain goes to the weakest spot, which usually is the knee. It's the muscle which pulls at the knee. The muscle doesn't hurt, but the knee does. So if you feel inclined to train your knees or something, don't do it. You know, knees don't like to be trained. If you want to train something, um, train your muscles. Uh, gently relax them, massage them, stretch them, but don't try to teach your knees how to do their job better. Um, one way to help yourself is by simply getting a good sitting construction going. Using your cushion properly rather than sitting on top of it, yeah, which is the obvious way to use it as a kind of upholstery, you use it as a wedge. Yeah? And then you test with your <coughs> the flat of your hand, the palm of the flat, sorry, the back of your hand, you test whether your 
your, the small of your back is filled. What you don't want is this, and what you don't want is this. In both cases, not because it's not pretty, that's not the reason. It is because your diaphragm is connected to your spine. Yeah? Your diaphragm is part muscle, part membrane, and it takes care of breathing, or it does a large part of your breathing. So, since that diaphragm is connected to your spine, if you're in this posture, it is taut, and if you're in that posture, it is equally taut. In both cases, you reduce the flexibility of that diaphragm, and in both cases, you reduce the volume of your breathing, and you increase the effort necessary for it. So that's one of the reasons why we sit straight. It's not because it's prettier or because some Buddhist book has told us so. um, It just helps the breath because it allows the, the organs of the body to go to the places where they are basically designed to go to. And that means that the breath becomes more effortless. If you've tested this, the next part is you test here. Yeah, you'd like to, this part to be open. Yeah. Keeping this, the back reasonably straight down here, so filling up the small of your back and then opening out here. Yeah. Be aware that this may feel exaggerated, artificial, funny. Maybe you have even feelings of, you know, this is, you can't do this, you know. You take too much attention or something like that. Don't worry, don't concern yourself with this. Just seek out absolute upright part in your upper upper spine and see whether this part can come out yeah imagine you're being slightly rotated along an axis going through both of your shoulders you kind of rotate this part up and the part between behind your shoulders slightly down so Then the next is you want to find a spot for your chin. Yeah? Obviously, these are the extremes of the movement, and it is not a bad idea to actually test those extremes. Yeah. If you close your eyes for a moment, test those extremes for yourself. Really move forward, exaggerate quite freely, move the chin back. You hear the sound of my voice changing. Exaggerate in this direction. These are the extremes now. Somewhere on the trajectory of this chin here is a place which is familiar. Generally, this is not the good place. This is just the place where the chin usually is. So look whether there is another place. Maybe a place where the head feels particularly light, or where you feel an equilibrium in the tonus of your throat area and your neck area. If you're in chairs, the same hold. Please test that out. Don't think because you've done that um, once or twice, this is okay and you know how it works. Um, Try it out. Imagine you're being slightly pulled up. Uh, Imagine you're a puppet dangling from a thread going into the top of your head, 
going down into your neck. Imagine that you're being slightly pulled up. And I try to do that. Make that image of being pulled up very strong. <coughs> Sense that traction upwards. And then try to relax into it. Verify that this is actually doing something. Drop your shoulders, unwrinkle your foreheads. And then I'd like you to open your eyes and see where your gaze is going. Yeah. Ideally, your eyes are horizontal. I know there are traditions who teach that one should... Uh, watch down onto the ground or um, a plow's distance away and uh, two feet away, six feet away, whatever. Um, my <coughs> simple advice is, um, well, there's two advices. Um, find out what it does if you look to the ground and, and my even more simple advice is don't do it. <laughs> One easy way of helping this part of the upper chest to open is by basically keeping your gaze horizontal. If you lower your eyes, it's very likely that you will lower your head. Yeah, and you will probably do what you do as a reader, as a, as a, a, a human being at a keyboard. You will collapse the top part of your chest, you will look down to what is in front of you. Some of that looking down will be done by the eyes, but another part will be looking down by the head. So that's what we would like to avoid. Verify that this actually happens for you, that you are with me, that what I'm talking of makes sense to you. Test how it is feeling. It's not enough if you write it down or if you believe me. You need to figure out that it actually has validity for you. You can only do that by testing this out for you. Now, this, this we do every time we sit down. However seasoned a meditator you are, this is what you do every time. You spend a moment... This moment may range from 30 seconds to 15 minutes with breath, posture, and sitting upright and actually acknowledging what's there. There may be times when you only do that. When you spend particularly slow sweeping uh, your awareness in the body or when you struggle with staying awake or, or when you want to be particularly sure that your mind doesn't go into associative uh, narratives, but you want to ground yourself, then it may be the case that you only do that. There are several teachings in the Buddhist suttas which speak of uh, body mindfulness as the major 
practice. So this is not something you toss aside easily. This is a, a mainstay of the meditative exercises, returning to body as it is, not as you like it or as you think it should be or as you've understood that it truly, uh, its true nature is, but humbly acknowledge, you know, the naughty parts, the pleasant parts, the parts that seem to remain white on your inner landscape. This is easier if your eyes are closed. And try to soften your awareness. Make sure that you find out whether it is possible for you to be gentle and precise. Sometimes in our attempts to be precise, we lose the gentleness. We become brittle, hard, and in some ways taut. Sometimes when we're trying to be gentle, we go all kind of gooey and sloppy and and, uh, negligent and just kind of all is in soft focus and blur. There is an alternative to this. It is quite possible to be both gentle and precise. Body awareness, not how others are aware of our body and we, look, we like to look good for others in their awareness. That's not body awareness. Um, but meeting the somatic, the embodied experience of our lives with a welcoming and gentle awareness is crucial, both for understanding, for collectedness of mind and for growth. Yeah. It's the first transformative power, being able to meet, even when it is unpleasant, amorphous, when it gives us feelings that we don't quite get it, being able to meet it even then is a a sign of of maturity, it's a sign of uh, a developing mindfulness. If you close your eyes, you notice the body has different qualities. It is contact. One of the first qualities we meet is weight. The earth element, the quality of expansion or solidity is most obvious where the body makes contact with the rest of the world. So acknowledge where your body touches touches itself, maybe a foot on a thigh or on a calf, maybe a hand on a leg. And then where the body touches the cushion, the mat, the bench, the chair, notice whether you can distinguish touch and wait.
Notice the difference between left and right in this. For most people, experience, sensate experiences, is not symmetrical, even less so than than we are symmetrical to our eyes. The closer you look at human beings, the more you see, you know, that they're not really quite symmetrical. This is even more true for our sensate experience. Just acknowledge the difference. If you find a difference between your left and your right shoulder, try to distribute the weight as equally as possible. And once you have done that, you, you're simply acknowledging difference rather than trying to fix it or make it otherwise, you acknowledge it. So the body expands, shows its expansiveness by touch, by contact, by weight. But there's another dimension which has to do with our uprightness. There's part of us which can feel that parts of the body are above other parts. We would call that proprioception. Your shoulder can know that it is above your hip. Even without looking, you can actually feel that. Is that true? Can you feel that? Ask yourself a moment, what do you do with your awareness? Where do you go with your attention if you want to feel that out? Whether your shoulder is above your hip. Can you feel your ears above your shoulders? Is there something you could change in your posture to make it less strenuous? Test whether you're upright, whether you're centered. Ask yourself whether you're holding something that doesn't really need holding right now. Maybe you can drop shoulders or relax your cheeks. There's another dimension in your sensory world this is the dimension of volume we have contact the expansiveness we have the vertical dimension felt in uh, 
us being able to sense the uprightness of the posture, the alignment with gravity, and we have the spatial dimension. This body takes space. It's not flat and upright, it is spatial. It inhabits space. So, See, but there is something in your body right now that tells you of the size, of the volume, of the spatial nature. That there is something between your belly and your, the small of your back, between shoulder and shoulder. See whether you can feel the size of this body. Can you feel its spatial dimension? How big is a belly, a thigh, a neck, an arm? Ask your body to tell you how big it is. Then let us go to the rhythms of this body. The obvious rhythms are heart, breath, there are other rhythms more subtle and maybe more um, with a bigger frequency. The heart and the breath are maybe the ones that are most obvious. Can you feel your heartbeat if you sit here? Is it possible to feel either the heart beating or to feel the pulse of that heartbeat? Just spend a moment... Gently touching with your awareness into the heart area. And then look for the breath. Where does this breath? become most noticeable in your body. We do know the breath is moving a lot of things. You know, physiologically, just about every part of your upper body, right down into your pelvis, moves with each in-breath. Some parts more discernibly so, some parts more subtly. But what actually do you feel? irrespective of the concept of physiology and what we can learn about physiology from other people's experience. What can you learn from your own experience? Do you feel your shoulder blades move away from the ribs? Do you feel your collarbones going up? Do you feel your 
ribcage widening. Maybe you just feel the, the difference in the touch sensations of the clothes when my belly moves in and out. Imagine that you don't actually need to change your breath and you want to be experiencing that breath. Please notice that I'm not asking you to observe your breath. I am quite explicitly not asking you to observe your breath or to watch your breath. I would like you to I would like to invite you to feel the breath, feel the movement of the body breathing. It means you're not going in your head trying to watch something happening in the body or in the belly, but it means you go with your attention to where you can actually feel this in the body. And you bring your attention right there where you feel Can I enter into a relationship with the felt quality of breathing, the sensory, somatic quality of breathing, rather than abstractly witnessing or observing the breath? Maybe your awareness is invited particularly to one area. If so, just go there. Maybe it's the heart area. Maybe it's the lowest area where the breath can be felt. Maybe it's the nose. Just go there for a moment and let the breath come. Bring you sensations and you accompany the sensations right from the moment they start happening. You welcome them, you receive them in, into your awareness, into the conscious aspect of your mind's ability to attend. And you accompany the change. When the sensation grows bigger, the awareness accompanies the, the, the sensation. When the sensation slightly decreases, you follow that decrease with your awareness. When that sensation subsides, you follow that sensation until it completely has disappeared. Be very clear that you do not want to alter the speed of your breathing, but you like to feel what it feels to be breathing. You don't think about the breath, you don't visualize the breath, you don't observe or witness the breath, you feel it.
Sometimes an image may help. Consider that you open both of your palms and you're receiving each in-breath and the sensation that accompany this in-breath. Like you would open both of your palms for a little bird that has fallen out of its nest. And you cradle it to protect it and you're very careful not to squeeze it. And you feel its weight, you feel its plumage, you feel the life that pulses through this little animal, and you feel the aliveness in your breath, the preciousness, the delicacy, the miracle really that's in there. The same way you receive the breath. When it comes, and it increases, decreases when it goes. So let's do that. When the mind wanders, just bring it back.
Go back to your posture for a moment, see whether whether you're sleepy, whether you're upright, whether there is something you can relax. Dropping of shoulders, filling out the small of the back, opening the chest, readjusting your head. Don't expect your posture to be perfect or don't expect just because you make an effort to sit upright that it that you will be free of tension. Don't fall prey to the judgment that if there is tension you're doing something wrong. There is no guarantee that if you're doing everything right, that you're absolutely perfectly relaxed. If you can relax, by all means do. But Return to the space of the breath. If you're unsure where to receive the breath in, into your awareness, go go to its lowest point. Go to the deepest sensation in your body, where you feel the breath reaching somewhere in your belly and. Receive the sensations there, accompany them, and if it pleases them to disappear, accompany them to the threshold of disappearance. Notice that in your awareness is a stillness, even though the movements of breathing comes and goes, thoughts may be flitting by. In your capacity to be aware, there is a profound stillness. Something that knows, capable of knowing and feeling.
Please consider what your attention is preoccupied with right now. If necessary, bring it back to the breath, its sensations, the coming and going of those sensations. And for this last minute, sustain your awareness continually on these sensations. Notice that you can shift the focus of your attention and gently but precisely follow their flow, their increase and decrease. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.